Lingkungan saya banyak sampah berserakan karena masyarakat belum sadar apa kegunaannya sampah plastik itu. Ternyata saya sadar banyak kegunaannya. Asis makes a living collecting plastic for the plastic bank, an organization working to incentivize local waste workers to collect and recycle plastic in some of the most polluted areas of the world. That idea, that knowing that 80% of land-based marine debris is coming from areas of poverty, lies a part of the solution as well. But this isn't just altruism. Plastic Bank is for-profit, and so is Repurpose Global. Both are making big money by partnering with companies like SC Johnson, Henkel, Burt's Bees, and hundreds of smaller brands, which pay to source recycled material themselves and or help offset their plastic production by funding local plastic collection and processing in communities that lack reliable municipal waste management. We are removing over 15 million pounds of plastic from the environment every single year, and we're on track to triple it by the end of this year, actually. With over 500 recycling uh, branches around the world, we've collected just under 4 billion bottles. It equates to something around 80,000 tons of material that we've collected to return to circularity. While Repurpose and the Plastic Bank aim to help companies reduce their use of virgin plastic, they also sell plastic credits to help their partners offset the waste that they do create. One credit represents one kilogram of plastic that's been collected from the environment and, if possible, recycled. The concept is similar to carbon credits, with all the attendant criticisms over lack of standardization and the potential for greenwashing. We need to make sure that plastic credits don't enable business as usual. But Kat says that his organization can help to alter the fundamental economics of plastic collection and recycling, making it a worthwhile endeavor for both waste collectors and global brands alike. A proper offset model creates infrastructure that will collect mass volumes of material over the course of time, not just pay for the collection of one product. Cumulatively, humanity has produced over 9.5 billion metric tons of plastic. That's over one metric ton, aka 2,200 pounds, per each of the Earth's 7.9 billion inhabitants. All the plastic we've ever produced since the inception of the material is still here. If you yourself remember a small toy you played with when you were a child, it's still here somewhere. Remember that coffee cup lid that you took 10 years ago? It's here somewhere still too. Globally, only about 9% of plastic is recycled. But that's not really because we don't have the technology to recycle it. For most plastics, we do. It's because it's not economically feasible to collect, clean, and sort it, at least in the U.S., where virgin plastic is cheaper. But Kat says that he's found a way to make the economics work in the developing nations where Plastic Bank operates. Here's how it goes. Plastic Bank's partner companies help to fund informal waste collection efforts in one or multiple of the countries where Plastic Bank operates, Brazil, Egypt, Indonesia, and the Philippines. Local plastic collectors often clean and sort their material before dropping it off at plastic bank collection centers, where it's weighed and sent to local processors. There, it's further sorted and shred into flakes. Local processors might turn the flakes into pellets themselves, or ship the flakes overseas to be turned into pellets, which some of plastic banks' partners then buy at a premium for use in new products. 
Consider Plastic Bank something like the Uber for recycling. It's a gig economy model that allows anyone in the world to participate. Based in Bali, Indonesia, Asis Wijianto has been an informal waste worker since 2000 and started working with Plastic Bank in 2020. In his village, there's only one garbage dumpster for the whole community, which is frequently overflowing. Prosesnya ngambil sampah plastik itu ke pasar-pasar, ke toko, ke rumah-rumah warga, dan dibawa pulang ke rumah. Langsung ke nyampe di rumah, istri saya yang bantuin meroses dan milah-milah sampah plastik. Ya, saya memilah sampah plastik, ada yang warna, ada yang botol, sadi buang tutupnya sama labelnya dipisah sama tutupnya gitu. Next, Asis loads up his truck and brings the bags to a plastic bank collection center where he's paid for the market value of the material plus a premium that plastic bank provides, allowing him and his wife to support themselves and their daughter through plastic collection alone. He says on an average day he earns 300,000 rupiah or about $20, a modest income but well above the international poverty line of $2.15 per day per person. Uang yang dapat dari kumpulan plastik untuk kebutuhan untuk belanja kebutuhan sehari-hari dan membiayai anak sekolah. The more that a collector or a household would collect the more frequently, the more consistently they would return the material. Over course of time, they earn a credit score, ultimately creating this monetary standard out of materials. One of Plastic Bank's founding partners, S.C. Johnson, has supported the build-out of 491 collection centers in parts of the Philippines, Indonesia, and Brazil that lack formal, reliable waste management infrastructure. The company now uses 100% recycled plastic, which it buys from Plastic Bank, in all of its Windex spray bottles. And out of all the plastic that S.C. Johnson sold in 2021, 19% was recycled. It's aiming for 25% by 2025. Plastic Bank has over 30,000 collection members like Asis registered on its platform. And those that reach a certain quota can gain access to additional benefits, like health insurance. When Asis was collecting more frequently, Plastic Bank paid his insurance premium. BPJS Kesehatan dari Plastic Bank itu sangat membantu dalam pemulihan kesehatan saya karena saya punya Priwayat penyakit paru-paru dan bisa beropat secara gratis. And Plastic Bank profits too. The company is estimating that it will bring in 60 million dollars in revenue this year, and the organization is planning to expand in Cameroon and Thailand, where it's currently running pilots. But though the United States plastic recycling rate has fallen to an abysmal five or six percent, Kat says that Plastic Bank's model doesn't really make economic sense in countries with more formalized waste management sectors, where the cost of collection, cleaning, and sorting is much higher. In the developed world, when you've got $30 an hour employees on the back of a $300,000 truck that are going through streets to collect material to return it to a $20 million facility, uh, the economics might not work as well for a bag where you have to collect so many to um, you know, retrieve a kilo of material. But in the developing world where you've got a household collecting their material and bringing it back to a community that then brings it back to a processor, you remove all of those costs and the economics work much more soundly there. Every year, about 400 million metric tons of virgin plastic are produced. And though experts agree that moving away from plastic packaging and sourcing recycled materials are the most effective means of addressing this crisis, there's also an emerging market for plastic credits, 
meant to help companies offset their virgin plastic production by funding waste collection and recycling efforts elsewhere. And this is actually what most of Plastic Bank's partners are doing. Out of over 75 partners, the company says that over 60 are buying plastic credits but not recycled plastic from Plastic Bank, and over 15 are buying recycled plastic but not credits. But experts like Grabowski say that it's far preferable to actually use recycled material yourself. We really want to see that companies are first really cleaning up their own house, right? Looking at their own portfolio, making reductions, and working on things like reuse, and thinking about changing to responsible sources for the plastic that they do need before they're looking at something like credits. By funding collection efforts and buying credits, a company can earn plastic banks net zero or net negative designation, meaning they're removing and recycling as much plastic as they make, or more. Plastic Bank says that some companies have achieved net zero and net negative status, but would not disclose who or how many. But the World Wildlife Fund opposes terms like these, borrowed lingo from the carbon credit market that Grabowski says is misleading. If you bought a plastic product and it said that it was plastic neutral, what would you interpret that to mean, right? Would you think that that meant it, this product has no impact? because that isn't true. 99% of plastic is made from fossil fuels. It impacts our climate, it impacts communities around the world. And the fact that someone cleaned that piece up does not negate all of those other life cycle impacts. Katz doesn't think that we'll ever see a plastic-free world, though, and thus views utilizing the plastic that's already in our environment as the ultimate solution. You know, I'm sorry to say that we're never going to move away from plastic. It's not going to occur. It's inevitable. And... There's 10 trillion kilograms of plastic on the earth. Another company in this space, Repurpose Global, calls itself the world's leading plastic action platform. It sells software to its partner companies, helping them to measure their plastic footprint, set internal plastic reduction targets, and purchase plastic credits. So we help brands look at all of these different pieces holistically and reduce their plastic footprint overall, both internally within their own supply chains, as well as externally in the natural environment. Repurpose works with over 250 brands, over 150 of which are designated plastic neutral, and over 80 of which are considered plastic negative, which according to Repurpose's standards means that these companies remove at least twice as much plastic from the environment as they put in, recycling all the material that it's technically possible to. To generate credits, Repurpose partners with local organizations on the ground in the United States, the Dominican Republic, Colombia, Ghana, Kenya, Indonesia, and India to support the build-out of waste management and recycling infrastructure. So these can be nonprofits, these can be private sector waste management organizations, these can be waste worker unions and cooperatives. The models really differ, but what we look for is a solution that actually works on the ground, being implemented by people who know what they're doing, who really understand the local landscape. Repurpose wouldn't reveal its annual revenue, but said that it's upwards of one million and growing quickly. The company accepts all types of plastic, subsidizing the collection of chips bags and tiny packets known as sachets, which aren't recyclable but are widely used in the developing world to sell tiny portions of everyday products like shampoo or laundry detergent. Typically, we follow something called an impact equivalency matrix. So what this means is brands need to remove plastic that is, quote unquote, as detrimental to the environment as what they are using or worse. Repurpose sends its non-recyclable waste to cement kilns, where it's burned to create energy for cement production. Balasubramanian claims that this is still a net positive outcome because it reduces the use of coal. Plastic Bank only accepts recyclable plastic, as Katz says that it just doesn't make economic sense for them to incentivize the collection of sachets, 
which have no inherent economic value. Both Repurpose and the Plastic Bank are helping to develop standards for the emerging plastic credits market. Working with the nonprofit Vera, which operates one of the most widely used carbon crediting programs to do so. But voluntary carbon offsets have been plagued with problems for years. And just a few months ago, an investigation found the grand majority of Vera's certified rainforest carbon offsets to be worthless, findings that Vera described as patently unreliable. Bala Subramanian points out that the two markets do have some key differences. We're not thinking about avoidance, we're thinking about actual recovery, right? So it, it, we're not calculating um, what was avoided um, from the oceans in a sense, we're actually calculating what we recovered. Um, and, and so the math becomes a lot easier. For Katz's part, he says that it's important to support the emerging plastic credits market as it develops. The best is the enemy of the good enough and that what we need to be doing today is implement stuff. Let's not vilify those who are trying and give space for it to emerge and evolve. And while Grabowski does see the potential of plastic credits to help build circular waste management systems by incentivizing local waste workers, she worries that credits will distract from the real regulatory changes that are necessary to address the plastic crisis on a global scale. Rather than really focusing on voluntary initiatives like credits, which are all voluntary, we want to see companies actually advocate also for mandatory measures like extended producer responsibility, as well as the Global Plastic Treaty, which is currently being negotiated. Extended producer responsibility laws are designed to make producers responsible for their products and of life impacts, by factoring in the cost of disposal and processing into the upfront price. Some states, including Maine, Oregon, Colorado, and California, already have EPR laws on the books for plastic packaging, as do countries throughout Europe. Many hope that policies like this will be incentivized by the Global Plastic Pollution Treaty, which is currently being negotiated after the UN voted last year to create a legally binding international agreement to end plastic pollution. That's a good beginning. And we see tens and tens of countries now implementing ex extended producer responsibility schemes. It's not enough. It's not fast enough. The more needs to occur. More policy needs to change. And we are combating big oil. So there's a lot of work to be done. After all, fossil fuels are the building blocks of plastic. And as the world transitions to renewable energy, plastic is set to become the largest driver of global oil demand. To combat this, Grabowski says that we need all hands on deck. We're going to need a multitude of solutions to solve this, and everyone has to do their part. That means we're going to need strong policy to realign incentives for all kinds of people and stakeholders. It means that we're going to need businesses to think about also reduction and reuse, as well as things like credits. And it need, means that people like you and me also need to change our behavior. But first, we need the options to be able to choose that, right? So we need everyone to do their part.